Welcome to Support Up Simplified, where we interview thought leaders in the great field of customer support operations to provide you with actionable insights from the brightest minds in the industry. And now, your host, Sid Bumbani, CEO of Sumati. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of uh, Support Operations Simplified. Uh, we have with us today Hannah Steinman uh, from Peak Support. Hi, Hannah. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. How are you? I am good. Um, so Hannah has been part of uh, Peak Support for close to three years now um, and comes from a very interesting background and as the chief operating officer there, I should add, and comes from a very interesting background of um, history, economics, and arts. Um, and I'm not going to do your profile much justice here. Um, so if you can just bring us quickly up to speed on sure. what you've done in the past and uh, and how you ended up at uh, at Peak Support. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yes, so I was a history major in college and decided at a certain point that I would be a journalist. And that was my life plan. I wanted to be, I imagined myself in my 50s as a um, as Maureen Dowd writing opinion columns for the New York Times. And so I proceeded to enact my life plan. I went to graduate school for journalism in New York and um, got a job at Forbes.com and then a job as an editor at Inc. Magazine. And after, uh, yeah, about seven years into it, seven years <laughs> into my into my life plan, realized that I didn't want to do that life plan at all. Um, <laughs> I didn't have any other ideas, but I knew that uh, journalism was not actually where I wanted to be. So um, this was... 2008, basically. So, like, are this right? This was right around the time that Lehman Brothers collapsed. Mm-hmm. I was going to say it was a good time. Yeah, <laughs> good time. Good time to sort of put yourself into the job market. Um, I mean, journalism. You know, media outlets were just shedding jobs. Um, I was interested in broadcast journalism, looking at communications. Anyway, there weren't a lot of jobs. So I applied to one of the first ones I saw, which was at the Clinton Foundation and knew someone there and was fortunate enough um, to get a job as communications manager at the Clinton Global Initiative. Totally different experience, really great experience, but still didn't answer the question of what I wanted to do with my life. So I decided to go back and get my MBA and got my MBA at MIT and uh, went into strategy consulting, again, which is a great career for someone who doesn't know what they want to do with their lives. Uh, So I was a strategy consultant for about four years. And meanwhile, my husband, John Steinman, had started Peak Support. And uh, Peak Support was growing. And he started it with one client. And then it got two clients, three clients. And about two years in, he was at the point where he had probably eight or nine clients at that point. And we talked about working together, but we weren't sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, it got to the point where the company was ready. John said, well, I need to hire someone. Either it's you or I have to go hire someone else. And we just decided to take the plunge. And we figured, worst case scenario, doesn't work out. I'll just look for another job in six months. Uh, <laughs> but it turns out it worked out. Well, that's great. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more stories over there in, uh, in terms of working with your husband, uh, but we won't get into that in this podcast. Uh, maybe, maybe you can tell That's us a different a little, podcast. <laughs> that's a different podcast altogether. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about Peak Support and what you guys do there. Yeah, absolutely. So we are um, at our core customer service outsourcing company. We do customer service and business process outsourcing for high growth companies. Um, So the core of what we do is customer support. We do email, phone, chat, social media support. All of our agents are fully dedicated to clients. Um, So our team sizes range from two FTEs to more than 70. And uh, we work with high growth companies in any industry, e-commerce, social media, 
gaming, um, a lot of software as a service, um, straight up services companies, really you name it, um, any kind of industry where there's any large scale either customer support need or back office task, those are the clients we serve. But really we specialize in companies that are growing fast, their needs are complex, their needs might be changing every day, every week or every month. And so we have a very intensive account management model because our goal is to grow with you. Um, we wanna do whatever it takes to help you grow. Um, so we understand that the, the questions you're getting today may not be the same questions you've got next, you were getting last week. And the volume is changing rapidly. And our goal is to really partner with you, really be there with you along the way so we can adapt and make sure you're providing exceptional service throughout all of those twists and turns of growing, building a fast growing business. Interesting. Interesting. And and what's even more interesting to me is, um, you know, in, in our series of podcasts, we normally end up talking to a lot of people who are running support operations. I think having you on the show um, gives us a really unique vantage point in, in coming from a place where you're helping such organizations scale. Um, what what are some of the things that you've seen uh, with high growth organizations in terms of challenges as they're looking to scale their customer support operations? What are some of the problems or, or challenges that they bring to you? So I think there are a couple big challenges when it comes to scaling a customer support operation. The first is that the founder of a company or the initial founding team, they don't necessarily know anything about providing customer service. Uh, I mean, they, they probably know their customers really well. They know their product really well. But when it comes to customer service, from what tools should you use? What should your KPIs be? Um, you know, how do you build macros? Like, what are the processes you need? What's an IVR system? All of that stuff, that's not their area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, a lot of times companies start out building that in-house, which makes a lot of sense. In the beginning, things are changing rapidly. In the beginning, your volume might be low. Um, So you might not even have a dedicated team, Uh, but then companies tend to get to the point where they say, oh, okay, wait, this isn't just going to be a one or two person or five person team. This might be a 20 person team or a 50 person team. How do I do that? (laughs) How do I get from where I am now to really doing this at scale? And that's when I think they tend to bring on a a partner (laughs) when they, when they often start to think, okay, maybe I should bring on a partner who can really bring me that expertise. Uh, The other thing I think is unique to these types of companies is this is not a customer support job for a high growth company Mm -hmm. is not a job where it's about memorizing rules and processes, memorizing answers and just um, repeating those answers back to customers. I mean, if you work for a giant company, they, you know, they could probably give you a 500 page manual that will cover pretty much every question you're ever going to get and what your response should be to that. And it's not like you're never getting uh, new types of questions that come up, but for our clients, every day they're getting questions they've never heard before. So you need people who are critical thinkers. You need, you know, this is real knowledge work. You need folks who are, um, you know, not afraid to hold up their hands and ask questions when something new comes in, um, when someone is unhappy with the product. There's just a lot of... uh, there's a lot, uh, it's a lot messier. <laughs> it's a lot messier. And so right. you really need folks who are, who want to, who want to deal with the mess. <laughs> folks yeah. who are good at dealing with the mess and who are passionate about dealing with the mess. And I think that's um, part of really what we bring to the table. Uh, we, you know, a lot of outsourcers hire folks with two or three years of experience. Our agents come to us with an average of eight years of experience. Okay. A lot of them, even our frontline agents were team leads at previous jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're really bringing on people who have that experience because uh, we think it's it's necessary to be able to just 
um, go with the flow at a, at a rapidly growing company. And that, that's a very interesting point, right? Because in a lot of cases, you don't know what you don't know in terms of what that customer support role with LNAP being or what kind of issues they'll end up solving mm-hmm. because the companies and the products are in transition as as well. So, you know, in, in a scenario like that, what defines success? Um, you, you mentioned KPIs and metrics, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really curious as to what is your advice to fast-growing companies in terms of KPIs and metrics they should be keeping an eye on, and, and you would help them um, partner with them on, on keeping an eye on those um, as they're going through that journey? Yeah, absolutely. And when we work with companies, a lot of times in the beginning, they have no KPIs and metrics. Okay. And, you know, sometimes in the beginning, that makes sense when you've got a really small team or sometimes companies that are coming from a place where a lot of people are doing this part time. So a lot of what we do is as the team grows to five people or 10 people or more is putting those systems in place. Mm-hmm. And I think the actual KPIs and metrics vary to some degree, especially depending on what channels. Um, but overall, as a general framework, we recommend looking at three components. So one component is efficiency and productivity. Another component is customer satisfaction. And then the third component is QA. Um, so for efficiency and productivity, um, that would be first response time, full resolution time. If you're looking at email, you know, if you're in chat, it's um, average wait time on chat. Um, keeping that really, really low is critical for chat. You know, if it's phone, obviously you have your SLA. Um, the second com- component is customer satisfaction. So we typically recommend just a CSAT survey as opposed to NPS or any of these other measures. But just, you know, sending out that one or two question survey at the end of each ticket um, that says, were you satisfied with this interaction? Yes or no. That's absolutely critical. Um, you get great feedback. And actually looking at those, you know, we look at every DSAT that we get and say, okay, is there something we could have done better here? And then the third component is QA. And I think this one is actually harder. Um, it does take significant resources, um, but having some sort of method to look at all of the things that aren't covered in those other two metrics I mentioned. So this could be brand voice, grammar, tone. Um, did you resolve the problem correctly? So you could have someone who's getting great CSAT scores, but it turns out that's just because they're giving every customer every, um, every return, you know, even when right. that's outside right. company policy. So QA is really, really critical. And I think that's um, one that actually a lot of companies neglect, um, or they just don't have the resources to do it until they're bigger. Interesting. So, so let's, if you don't mind, let's let's dig into a couple of these a little bit more because again, you you bring a very unique um, kind of you know point of view to this whole conversation. So, when we're talking about CSAT, um, we've had a lot of guests on the on the podcast who've talked about customer satisfaction and being able to measure it in in various different ways, right? And and um, the starting point for a lot of them is the surveys. Um, what are your uh, kind of experiences or learnings with surveys and and the response rates. Um, well, one, the response rates, and two, mm-hmm. how people provide feedback. Um, there's there's a bit of a you know debate between whether that should be a transactional satisfaction survey or satisfaction with the overall product and service. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those lines get uh, merged. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, yeah. So let me start with your first question on response rate. And this can really vary. And sometimes it's hard to understand why. Um, We have companies getting, I recently actually did a little research and we're thinking of writing something on some benchmark data around this because um, when I did research, I saw response rates ranging from 5% to 40%, pretty regularly. 
And it was kind of hard to understand. Um, you know, we were looking specifically at a client that had had a 5% response rate. And we're trying to understand, is this bad? Is this good? Um, it's hard to tell. Um, it can be really hard to tell. Um, and, you know, I think definitely, um, you know, keeping it simple tends to generate better response rates. Um, but other than that, so far, I haven't been able to identify a really critical factor dictating what drives a high response rate versus what doesn't. Um, I think sometimes you hear companies saying, oh, we had a really high response rate when our service was really bad. And other times <laughs> you get a really high response rate when the service is really good. So I'm not sure there's any uniting factor. Right. Um, but I think, you know, from what I've seen, and certainly any rate between that 5 to 40% could be considered normal. Okay. Um, in terms of, yeah, how to use the survey and is it a, is it a review of the customer service experience only or is it a review of the product or service? Is that your question? That that, tension yeah, that, that sums yeah. up the question well, yeah. So in terms of your other question, some customers use CSAT specifically to comment on the quality of the support experience. Obviously, some of them use it to talk about the product itself or the specific policy. So you can have an agent who's doing a perfectly good job, mm -hmm. who is in line with company policies, who communicates exceptionally well, and still gets a DSAT because the person is unhappy about the message that they got, um, which is really about company policy. Um, you know, we do try to separate that out. Overall, what I would say is we don't separate it out in our reporting. So if our goal is 90% CSAT, our goal is 90% CSAT. And it doesn't matter if we got an 88, but half of the DSATs were about the product, that doesn't matter. We still didn't hit our CSAT goals. Mm -hmm. So in terms of reporting, we still say CSAT is CSAT, but um, we, like I mentioned earlier, we look at every DSAT. And it's easy to tell. Is this actually um, something the agent did? Is this a coaching opportunity for the agent? Or is it a policy issue? Okay. Um, and, you know, we're able to separate it at that level. Um, if it's a policy issue, it doesn't result in coaching for the agent. There's also an interesting new tool called Miros, M-I-U-R-O-S. Um, one of the things that um, they say they can do is actually look at CSATs for similar tickets. So they can say, okay, this agent is getting, might be getting a 75% CSAT. So it looks like it's not good. But if you look at the specific tickets they're handling, actually the average CSAT for those tickets is 68%. So actually oh, okay. that agent is doing good. So there's some potential, potential for some powerful technology that actually helps you sort through this to some degree. Interesting. And and I think I think you hit the nail on the head over there, right? Because from a customer perspective, I mean, when I say customer, a, cus a customer of yours, I think they would be interested in both kinds of feedback, both from a transactional perspective yeah. and even things that are coming from their end users saying, here's how you could be improving a product or service. Um, mm -hmm. So being able to you know, distinguish between both of them and, and at least present that information for what it's worth is, is critical, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's critical feedback for the company, regardless of of what it's what the feedback is on exactly so, so and, and you touched on something very interesting there um you know technology and and how that is really helping shape customer experience for the future i mean one of the the challenges that i see here um as is your scale is also um you know bringing on more talented experienced people so how are you looking at scaling your services organization as you have uh, customers asking more of you and, and what kind of technologies are you putting in place uh, that help with that scale? 
So it's, scaling is funny because it's the challenge our clients face and it's the challenge we help our clients with every day, but it's also the challenge that we are facing every day because we are also <laughs> a rapidly growing company. You know, we've been growing 75% a year. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, being able to keep up with that growth is absolutely critical. We have a dedicated recruiting team um, who are just fantastic. And every day they're screening new people. Um, and we're constantly looking for new ways. What can we do? to um, improve that recruiting process to make sure we're um, finding the people who would be great working for our clients because it's not the right job for everyone. Um, for some people, it's a dream opportunity to be able to work with you know, a high growth tech company where you have that um, feeling where that things are changing a lot and you know, there's tons of opportunity and some people don't want that. Um, so really figuring out how we can um, find more of those people who are a great fit for this job is you know, one of our top challenges as we grow. And it's not just about finding the people, it's about how do you put the culture in place and how do you make sure you maintain your culture as you grow? I mean, especially when you're in a people-based business like ours, culture is just absolutely critical to our success. Um, so how do we really maintain that as we grow? How do we put the systems in place to make sure that everyone's getting the training that they need, everyone's getting the coaching that they need? Um, that was a lot easier when we only had 50 people. Um, now with over 200 people, it's a lot, a lot more of a challenge. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things um, that we're doing in terms of putting the systems in place, you know, building the support teams, um, everything. Interesting. So uh, tell, tell us a little bit about how your 200 people are laid out. Are they all in one location or do you have a global operation that spans uh, time zones and such? Yes, absolutely. No, and I realized I should have gone back to this uh, when you asked the the original question about um, about peak support. So we are 100% remote. Oh, okay. Um, and we've been 100% remote from day one. So I think that um, is actually a big um, advantage for us um, in the outsourcing industry for a couple of reasons. One is that we can access the best talent wherever it is. Um, so we're, we're um, in the U.S. and in the Philippines. Um, in the U.S., we're in Virginia, Massachusetts, Maine, Nevada. Um, so we're all over the U.S. And in the Philippines, um, same. We are geographically very dispersed in the Philippines. Um, so we can really access the best talent. It's not about um, you know, only accessing the talent that's near your call center in mm -hmm. Clark or in Manila. Um, we can find the best people wherever they are. And in particular, um, for customer service, um, the folks who want to work in a work from home environment tend to be more experienced. Um, you yeah. know, we get people, a lot of, um, I think I mentioned earlier, a lot of um, call centers get people with two or three years of experience. We get people with an average of eight years of experience and that's because they got families. They don't, and then they want to work from home. You know, they have just have different priorities. Interesting. Um, so we get really great talent. The other thing is as an outsourcer, you're always remote from your client. Yeah. And so that's a common source of tension we hear from customers about other outsourcers is, you know, they didn't understand my culture or I had to fly to the Philippines to train them on our company culture. And for us, because we've been remote from day one, that's just a part of our DNA to, you know, make sure we tell our clients on day one, talk to us about your mission, your vision, your core values, your company culture, talk to us about, about what matters to you. And, um, you know, we also, we meet in person, we bring our team members to the US from the Philippines. We go to the Philippines for a summit every year. Um, so we do everything we can to bridge that gap. And our clients, I think it makes a big difference. I mean, this wasn't an intentional uh, part of our value proposition. It just happened organically. But our clients say, you know, it doesn't feel like an outsourced relationship. They just feel, uh, the agents really just feel like a part of our team. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's because we're just so used to working in this remote way. It's just like a sec- second nature to us. Um, so in terms of your in terms of your question, um, our um, clients are largely U.S. We're just starting to serve international clients. Um, our teams can be US, U.S. or Philippines, but are mostly in the Philippines, and we serve um, you know all time zones. Makes sense. Yeah, and 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 that definitely adds a lot more context to your your comment about culture and building that and keeping yes, that because absolutely. you know now we're in an entirely different ball game where everyone's remote and and there's a lot more work to be done over there um, than you know if you were all co-located in the same office and, and yeah hanging around but, the water cooler yeah but as a result we've been really intentional about culture um so you know you have to be very intentional about just saying hi to people when they come in in the morning yeah um mm-hmm. and we have a weekly huddle on chat which is led by a different team lead every week it's always on a different theme um so the theme might be talking about people who inspire you or um you know what your goals are and our team members share and they share the most incredible stories um, like I, I'm in tears during our huddle often every week. Uh, and so that's a big part of our culture and meeting in person, like I said, having meetups, our annual summit. Um, so we've been really intentional about how to build those connections between our team members, even in a fully remote environment. We're actually, um, hopefully by April 1, we'll have a, an office in, Cam- in Cambridge, Mass, where we're based. So we'll have our first physical office, but we're still going to be 98% remote because there's only three of us here. Well, that is very cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, 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 you know, just picking up on that point, um, you, you mentioned uh, you were talking about, um, you know, how you guys get together and talk about where people derive their inspiration from. Where where do you derive your inspiration from um, on a regular basis? And, and who do you see as some of the people who've taught you a lot of life lessons in terms of how to run a successful company? Wow, that's a great question. So I, I feel like there's no one answer to that because I've learned so much from a lot of different, um, so many different people that I've worked for. Um, but I'll start a little bit chronologically um, with Jane Berenson, who was the editor-in-chief in Inc. Magazine uh, when I was there. And she gave me this great advice, which was, um, everyone asks you where you want to be in five years or 10 years or 15 years and tells you to work back from there. Don't do that. It makes a lot more sense to focus on what's fun for you right now And that's going to get you where you need to be. You have no idea where you want to be in five years or 10 years. So focus on something that's fun for you now. And that's going to get you where you want to go. And um, yeah, I think that that's great advice. It's contrarian, but I think it's absolutely right. I think a lot of people get into careers like I did going into journalism, thinking about where they want to be in 30 years and not thinking about where they want to be right now. And ultimately, that's a a more productive, um, a more productive way to think about it. so I, that's one that I'll say. Um, I also, when I worked in strategy consulting, worked for a boutique consulting firm called Innosight. Um, the founder of Innosight was Clay Christensen, who um, just recently passed away. He was the author of Innovator's Dilemma, and he um, invented this concept of the job to be done, thinking about the customer's job to be done um, rather than thinking about their needs. And um, there's a lot that I've learned from Clay Christensen, but I think um, one of the most important lessons, it's in his book, How to Measure Your Life. And um, he talks about um, his values and how he set a rule for himself. Um, he was very religious. He set a rule for himself where he wouldn't play basketball. He was a star basketball player. He wouldn't play basketball on Sundays. And, okay. um, the, and there was a championship game, a playoff game on a Sunday. And everyone wanted him to play and said, just this once, just this once. And he didn't do it. And the lesson he took from that was, 
it's easier to hold to your beliefs and your values 100% of the time than it is to hold to them 98% of the time. Right. Because when you start making exceptions, every time you're tested, it becomes an opportunity. Now you have to decide whether you're making an exception. Right. And now, and now it's, you're constantly negotiating whether you're going to be adhering to your values or not. Um, so that, uh, just that advice, I think it applies to so many different things. Um, but like, it's easier to hear, adhere to your values hundred percent of the time than 98% of the time. I think those are really important, really very, important. Very, very, very good advice there. Yeah. All right. No, thanks for that. That, that is really uh, good advice and, and a lot of key takeaways from there. Um, and as, as we look to wrap this up um, here, Hannah, um, just one more question. I mean, where, where do you see, you know, as much as you wouldn't like to plan this out for the next five to 10 mm-hmm. years, uh, what does the future hold? What are some of the, the key things that you guys are working on right now? So I think like all of our clients, you know, we're thinking about scale, especially because um, we provide such high touch service to our customers. How do we continue to do that? How do we continue to have these close relationships with our team members and close relationships with our clients as we scale? Um, You know, we have um, more than 200 team members today. How do we keep the culture that we have as we get to 500 team members or potentially even more than that? So I would say that is a, you know, probably the biggest thing that preoccupies us on a daily basis. Right. Um, You know, other than that, I think, um, you know, I also think about um, the economy and, you know, the last 10, we've been in a, you know, a growing economy for the last 10 years. So what happens when that changes? Um, Because I know it will. I've been predicting a recession for the last seven years. So you probably shouldn't listen to me, but it will come. (laughs) I ran into another uh, fellow. uh, (laughs) So we know Yes, absolutely. So I, I don't know when it'll come, but I know it'll come eventually. So how do we make sure that we're well positioned for that? How do we help our clients make sure that they're well positioned for that? So I think that's a big thing um, that we think about a lot. Um, and, you know, and, you know, we also think about, you know, just from a strategic perspective, um, you know, expanding to other geographic locations, adding other languages, um, adding physical call centers um, for those clients that do need it for specific purposes. Um, so things like that also always on our mind. Great. Well, um, Hannah, we covered a lot of ground over here uh, from scale to culture to values to predicting recessions and and, and many other things. Um, well, I want to thank you very, very much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, wish you the best of success with uh, peak support and your new office coming up and uh, scale and growth for the future. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk with you. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to Support Up Simplify with Sid Bambani of Sumati. Tune in next week for another interview with a customer support operations thought leader.